Hi, welcome to the show. How about you guys introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Jason. And I'm Delia. Cool. And um, I saw your your post, or you made a game that used machine learning. Um, and I saw your post, I think, on the Unity sub forum made with Unity, and also I think on a Reddit, I don't, on on some other forum. I don't know. Yeah, where, we but... actually posted it in the our game dev. Um, yeah, the game dev. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, exactly. And and so, what's the game about? Can you can you go into detail about that? Um, the game uh, at its current state is really kind of a demo. Um, we've built. Uh, a top-down, an arcade shooter uh, kind of thing with very limited gameplay um, with the main purpose as like uh, an experiment for you to try it out and see how the enemies feel um, when we uh, implement different um, algorithms to, to control how they behave. Okay, so it's an experimental game where you use machine learning for the AI? If I understood yes, correctly, that's okay. correct. That is, um, I, w I wouldn't even call it an experimental game. Right now, we're running um, it literally as an experiment. Okay. And you play it for maybe five, ten minutes, um, then you complete a survey to to see how you felt about the AI. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so when you say you use machine learning for the AI, can you go into detail about what? Like, like, what is what does that actually entail? Are you using data from some other source that is is driving the AI, or or how how are you actually using machine learning for the AI? Um, so we're taking a reinforcement learning approach. Okay. Um, so it's not we don't have any um, labeled data per se. So, uh, the way it works is the it, it's sort of similar to using a self organizing map. So the map itself represents um, the game state. So there, we're using right now a 3D map, and each axis um, you can think of as representing some metric in the game. So for example, how um, aware of their surroundings is the AI. So if the AI have, has explored um, a large portion of the map, then their spatial awareness goes up. Okay. Um, and that will determine like where the game state lies on that one axis, um, and other the other two are um, how fit the AI are against the player and how um, urgent it is for the AI to uh, complete their objectives. So the level um, in the demo is actually timed. So it's only um, I think four minutes is yeah, it? Yeah. for the build that we put up was four minutes. So um, if the player has uh, captured more objectives than the AI in four minutes, then the player wins. Um, so it's sort of a measure of how urgently you need to capture the objectives um, right okay. now. And then that um, sort of determines a rough game state in this map that we're using. Um, and then each uh, section of the map, uh, you can think of it as a graph. So there, uh, there are points, and then each point maps to a type of behavior that we want the AI to, um, I guess, in a way that they want to behave. So for mm -hmm. example, if we want them to be very aggressive or we want them to be um, more focused on capturing objectives or more focused on exploring the map, um, that kind of thing. So uh, we, ha we designed 
behaviors, um, like st specific strategies that sort of embody those attributes. So, for example, um, what is one example? There's um, one, I think, one behavior that like will just attack the player when they see when they see the player, um, and yeah. that's very like very leaning towards being aggressive and less towards um, exploring or focusing on capturing the objectives. Um, okay. So that might um, correspond to one of the states where the enemies are very, um, very fit, or like if they have a lot of health and the player has very low health, they might choose to go with that strategy. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a feedback loop where we try to get a rough estimate of how well the um, enemies did with that current behavior, and then we use that to update the map. Um, okay. So that they might be more or less likely to pick that um, behavior in the future. Okay, and so when you say update the map, you mean update the 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 AI logic, or are you talking about actually updating the? Sorry, uh, yes, updating the AI <laughs> oh, yeah. logic. Okay. Yeah. So for the audience out there, um, if they want to play the game, is there a website they can check out or, or a place where they can check it out? For sure. Um, yeah. We have one right now that's being hosted on uh, one of our teammates' websites. And uh, you can probably include the link, but I'll, I'll sure. just spell it out right here. It's taylorpetrick.com slash unlit. Uh, okay. Petrick is with an E. Um, sure. And you, you probably have the link with you. Yeah, I do. I do. I was just mentioning that because some of the people who are listening just might hmm. um, just be listening and they can just bring it up. Um, so and, and also for the audience out there, can you explain how the game works at this point? Like, you know, what, what the objectives are and, and what the okay. player does. Yeah, um, it's pretty simple right now. Uh, yeah. You have a single game mode where you're put in a randomly generated map with exactly four objectives. Um, and in the current build of the game, there are three enemies. Uh, so it's kind of a 1v3 situation. Um, and the goal of each side is to capture objectives. And as the player, um, you need to capture at least three, and you hold it for maybe uh, around 10 seconds, and that's how you win the game. Whereas for the enemy, since they're larger in numbers, they need, they need to capture all four and hold that. Uh, so essentially, the game is, a, um, is about taking objectives, but there's also combat built into it, because if you kill a unit, um, they need to wait you know, a certain amount of time before they respawn. I think the player respawns in about 10 seconds and the enemies take around 25 seconds. Um, so there, there is a, a reward um, to combat, but combat is not the direct path to victory. Um, okay. And we've designed this uh, with the intention of making a very simple game where you can take multiple approaches. And so depending on what the players like to do, um, you know, they might enjoy fighting a lot, or they might like to sneak around and, and go for the objectives first. Um, the idea is to, to have a variety of these players and have the same machine learning AI play against them in hopes that it will slowly adapt to each of their play styles. Okay. And so if I'm understanding correctly, uh, basically it's it feels like capture the flag. Am I, am I understanding this correctly? Or did I... Almost, yeah. Okay. Um, I would say it's more of a, a control point victory thing uh, okay. because the objectives don't move. Um, so you go to an objective. Uh, yeah, I, I could have yeah. been more clear with this. Well, you no, go to no, an it's, objective. 
yeah, and you capture it. Um, you know, you have to stay there to capture it, and then you move on to the next one. Okay, and and I think the different and and also you can attack like the the different sides can attack each other, whether it's the player mm-hmm. or or the other team, right, or or the AI team. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and so. If I so then if I'm understanding basically you're taking the data as players play the game, you're getting data and then that data is then used to feed the AI so that future players it, it'll be a different game for future players. Um, that's not what we're doing currently. Okay. We could have done that, um, but the idea right now was uh, to have the AI learn from a single player. Um, okay. So that they will adapt to their specific style. So if you go and play the game right now, um, and you play, you know, let's say five games against the AI, it will learn. It will take these five games and learn and try to adapt to your play style. And then, if someone else goes on to play uh, a separate instance, it'll be completely from scratch again. Okay, and and so what? Like when you developed this game, what? Um, how did you decide what dimensions you were going to use for the reinforcement learning, or or what things you were going to like? What kind of data you were going to pull out for the machine learning algorithms? Um, to be honest, I think we kind of just thought, you know, what are the the sort of important things about the current state of the game that we think would define it, mm-hmm. um, and then we split them up into three different categories and then we thought you know what we'll try this and see if it works works, and if it doesn't we can tweak it um the thing with machine learning most of the time is that um it a lot of tweaking goes into it yeah 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 so we we sort of started off we we said we would start off with something simple um, if it doesn't really work, we might add more metrics. If it does work, we're, maybe we tweak it a little. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, yeah this, is- this, is, this is kind of a first pass for us. Okay. And, and what, did you use any libraries or did you have to uh, build the algorithms from scratch or how did that work? <clears throat> the algorithm we did build from scratch, um, oh, I think it's because, so one of the reasons is it's not exactly um, a, like a traditional type of machine learning algorithm that you would find. Um, we had to adapt it slightly for our purposes. Um, and also, we wanted it to learn as the game was playing. And I think we, we actually tried to uh, import some machine learning libraries into Unity, but it wasn't it, yeah. it wasn't the best time. Ran into a lot of obstacles. There. Yeah, so with with that, we kind of just decided, you know what, we'll just, it might be What easier. What library did you try? Um, I know, because I know in the pre-interview, we discussed that you guys used um, Unity. So I guess, yeah, we can talk about the tech right now. And uh, just so the audience can get a sense of uh, what it took to build something like this. Uh, what, yeah, what, what, what tool did you use? Uh, um, yeah. So I forget the exact name. It was a machine. Oh, Accord.net okay. was um, it because we use C sharp. Um, yeah. In yeah. Unity, Unity I think s- supports C sharp and JavaScript, but we want C sharp. Um, and so I was I was looking for a machine learning library that was written in C sharp, um, but trying to import that because there was a .NET um, support problem with yeah, Unity because Unity um, it's actually I think. 
dotnet 2 it's actually mono yeah right right which is okay. yeah so the the dotnet version that they support is very old well so you're saying when you tried to build it it actually wouldn't build because it didn't have some of the the library components or yeah so the framework the the (coughs) machine learning framework is written in i think dotnet three or four by now Mm -hmm. okay so yeah okay because i know there's there's one thing with unity where it'll try to just include a subset of of 2.0 or something and then if you include the the whole 2.0 it it might allow certain things to compile that didn't compile when you just only included the subset um, but I don't know if that's something you ran into or if, if it's the It could have you, been. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe. I, I think one yeah. of the things we tried was um, the framework, it, it's version, so it has diff- like older versions um, mm-hmm. of the framework that where it uses older versions of .NET. Yeah. Um, but we went so far that the, the, the framework itself yeah. didn't have a lot of functationality. Okay. Left oh, okay. Okay. So it did work. At one point, <laughs> like at, at, at one an early point, yeah. Yeah, got it <laughs> yeah well, I just have Unity open right now, and I was just bringing up what I guess what I meant to say is on if you go to player settings, when you go down to the bottom where it says uh, other settings, um, it's there's an optimization option and the API compatibility level. It, you know, there's like .NET 2.0 subset and then .NET 2.0, and I wasn't sure if that was something you tried because I know that I've I've seen that that can potentially help stuff, but but you're saying it's just because it, it it was using 3.0 or 4.0, so there was not yeah. even a chance. Yeah, okay. that was that yeah. was it. And and we eventually decided that um, since the the algorithm we will end up using is um, to an extent pretty simple, we yeah. might as well just you know yeah. build it ourselves. What can you talk about that algorithm? Is there a specific name for it, or was it? Um. um I don't think we ever really named it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't. Sh- I wasn't sure if you used a formula or, or as a foundation, or if you just. I... So um, I mentioned before the concept of a self-organizing map. Yeah. Um, so that's a an artificial neural network for unsupervised learning, and we used it's it's sort of similar in um, if. You look up self-organizing maps. The traditional example is a 2D map with um, uh, colors representing the data in the map. So the the points will have uh, three different values attributed to it, and then it will be organized in a 2D, um, like like a 2D plane. And the the purpose of it is to take um, basically organize 3D data into a 2D space. Okay. Um, and that's the, that's in a way what the map is In a doing. sense. Yeah, in a sense. Yeah. Um, and it, it's sort of in a way what we're doing um, because we're trying to convert this data about the game state, which is in one, you can think of it as in, in you know, one space and then mapping that to a different space where each point represents a kind of behavior. Okay, and then what algorithm do you use to actually choose once you map it onto that plane? Um, how do you choose what what does it or you know what's this? So right, yeah, yeah. So right now um, we're basically calculating the Euclidean distance and picking the closest um, a behavior that we have to that point. Okay. Um, another one that we wanted to try but didn't include in the current build is a uh, it's 
it's taking um, a Gaussian distribution, um, so it has a chance. So it adds some noise. It has a chance to um, pick maybe not the closest behavior, but the next one. Okay. Um, and this gives the AI a chance to try something else, so it maybe doesn't get stuck in a local maxima. Okay. Yeah, we have a uh, we have a set of behaviors um, that are handmade that essentially represent um, an intention for for the enemy or a strategy. And based on the set, you know, every every behavior will have um, attributes and. And that's the point um, that's associated to it. So we essentially pick uh, the behavior that's closest to the exact point that we've uh, decided on. Okay. Um, yeah, any other, I guess, surprises as you were using machine learning for this project or, or anything interesting that you felt you encountered as you were doing this? Um, so I think one of the things we found was that the the intelligence of the AI is not necessarily um, directly linked to how the player perceives how smart the AI is. So, so on the one hand, there's um, if uh, if an AI feels very unpredictable or feels like it's trying to do something interesting, the player might have a good time with it and think that there is some kind of project some kind of intelligence onto it. Um, but in but in some cases, it might be a completely deterministic algorithm. Yeah. Um, so with our experiment that we've set up, uh, one of the so you you get a chance to play two different um, two different kinds of enemies. Um, one of the AI is using actually a, com a completely deterministic algorithm. So it's just the rule based, like you know, if this, then mm -hmm. do this, else, yeah. then do that. Um, and then another, the other um, AI is the machine learning AI, and. From the feedback that we've gotten, um, I think most people couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, um, and you know, some people found the the machine learning one, uh, you know, more unpredictable, or the deterministic one. So I think a lot of people said the deterministic one um, was a lot harder. Could have been. Yeah. 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 So they actually found it maybe not as enjoyable because it was too hard because the um, the, the, the sorry, the deterministic one is, um, I think, more an, a more aggressive algorithm. Okay. And yeah. and so the deterministic one is the one where you, it's just rules based, right? Is yes. that what you mean? Okay, just wanted to make sure. Yeah, it's like a control group. Okay. Um, yeah. Any other surprises as you were developing this, or any other interesting? I guess. Um, yeah. 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 Well, when we first started this project, um, the goal is kind of to to explore whether or not using machine learning such as you know the thing we built uh, can be beneficial to um, how fun or how challenging we can make a game uh, and you know one of the questions we set out to, to answer is whether this is worth it or not um, and this game I think we started developing it uh, Maybe a year or so ago, um, and it it's taken a lot of work. And one of the things we realized was that um, since making a game itself, um, you know, involving the art and uh, you know the gameplay, the design, um, the UI, the sound effects, and and all these different 
components that come into to making a game. It's just so time-consuming to begin with um, in that uh, really implementing a working and effective machine learning algorithm um, to accompany it is uh, dependent on whether or not it will add enough to the game because yeah. you know it took us a lot of time to make the game itself um, and it also took us a lot of time to build the machine learning algorithm and um, to tweak it into a somewhat working state. So, you know, I guess a, a surprise slash conclusion was, um, I would say it's, it's more of a lesson learned, is that uh, it, it's a very costly attempt. Um, and, you know, if one is to build machine learning into a specific mechanic or feature of a game, uh, you know, they need to plan it out really well and make sure that the time they put into this is worth it. Yeah, you know, I was watching some talks, I guess, at some of these conferences, um, and I think it was, maybe it was Peter Molyneux, but basically he was talking about how this is kind of like early days for machine learning, and or I mean like AI and gaming and stuff like that, right? I mean, and and it's always interesting and fascinating to hear about people who use machine learning in the game, because I think what's going to happen is right now people are using machine learning and AI related to enemies, right? And I feel like there's going to be some other provocative way to use machine learning in games. I just don't know what it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be AI because from what I've seen, AI, you know, the whole point of like, oh, you have to build awesome AI, blah, 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 to make the game more exciting and fun really wasn't necessarily the answer. I think Mm -hmm. um, it was really multiplayer, that was more fun than just adding AI, right? For a lot of people, just having yeah. multiplayer is yeah. better. So the real question is, is what will, what can machine learning do that actually makes the game super fun? And I don't, I don't, I mean, I see people using AI, you know, enemy AI as, as a way to infuse machine learning into it. But do you see potentially other venues or, or like you were saying, mechanics where machine learning would make a huge difference in the game? For sure. Um, I think one of the things we came across uh, in the middle of development was that, um, you know, the, the the core goal here is to make a game more engaging and more fun for the player. And one very important element is to control the exact level of difficulty. Um, and, you know, different players may enjoy games at different um, levels of challenge. Uh, some may learn a mechanic uh, quickly, and some might take you know more time to really uh, get the hang of a game. So I think you know we're already seeing games that uh, make an effort to, um, I guess, dynamically balance the difficulty for a game. I think uh, I saw a video once. Um, by Mark Brown on his uh, series on Game Maker's Toolkit, where he explored, um, uh, what was that game called? Um, it was like that uh, post-apocalyptic zombie shooting game that um, was made by a Japanese studio. Okay. Do you, uh, Resident I Evil, don't... right? Yeah, sorry. I, okay. 
that's that's, cool. uh, that's pretty well known. Um, yeah, I think right. one of the the Resident Evil games tried to to rebalance the difficulty as the player plays. So if you you know if you're doing really well, it starts to make oh yeah uh, the loot drops and ammo more scarce. And if you're dying a lot, um, they help you out a little by giving you more of these supplies. And one of my friends commented that it was pretty obvious that they were doing that. Um, so you know, obviously, this is one of the much earlier attempts. But I think potentially, if we use machine learning um, to really get a grasp of uh, you know just how how hard a game should be for this specific player, um, we could control it so that. Um, you know, a game when played by different people um, will tune itself to different levels of, of difficulty dynamically to to keep it fun. Yeah. And maybe even in multiplayer situations, it'll serve as like a recommendation engine for mm-hmm. content or, or with other people and stuff. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know if there will be other powerful uses of machine learning in games. Um, I'm, I'm sure there will be, but do you do you foresee any other uh, parts or aspects of game development that 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 or game design that would use machine learning effectively? Um, I mean, I guess well, it would fundamentally have to change the gameplay in a in a compelling way, right? And yeah, I, I think in a sense, um, there are probably two approaches. One would be um, to to make it as a feature, um, so so the developers would communicate it to the player, saying, you know, this part uses machine learning and it adapts to you, um, you know, so and so, and and it really builds into the game as almost a, a mechanic on its own. Um, and you know, the other approach I think would be um, to hide it in an underlying, uh, uh, I guess, mechanic where you don't tell the player, um, and it just serves as, um, for instance, if we if we go with matchmaking, you know, there could be a machine learning algorithm that uh, observes how a player plays, and then um, in multiplayer uh, implements matchmaking to so that they get paired up with, you know, yeah. people they might like and, and stuff like that. And you don't necessarily have to to tell the players that this is what you're doing, as long as it's achieving the goal. Um, yeah. yeah. And and I guess I'm just going to kind of run these ideas by you, but the way I see it is that um machine learning for it to actually be as cuz I'm cuz I just look back at kind of like game development over the past several years. And you know, it was like when when AI, you know, like I just remember like, you know, like even even a, like maybe 8 years or 9 years ago it's like AI, AI, AI. And really it that wasn't the answer to making the game fun. It was multiplayer. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so and then then I was thinking about 3D and I totally remember when people are like, it's about more polygons, more, you know, more <laughs> triangles, more blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then it was just this 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 simple block game that, you know, that really, you know, Minecraft. So yep. it was it was a different activity that mm-hmm. actually. Right. You know, and I totally remember these AAA people are like, you know, you need this many this, you know. And and so yeah. I think. I think what it's going to have to be is that machine learning has to enable a new compelling activity um, or interactivity that was not possible yeah, um, sure. before. So instead of the, the, the paradigm of like, okay, we need more, 
more data to, to make the enemy more harder, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. There's going to have to be somewhat, you know, some indie developer, experimental developer is going to have to find a way to use machine learning that actually encourages or makes available a new activity or new gameplay that was not available in another way. And and it's very compelling because, you know, you can do other, you know, there were other types of 3D games that were done that were also low poly, but they weren't as popular because they didn't leverage this kind of new dynamic of like, you know, block multiplayer block creation and or you know block mm-hmm. placement and stuff like that so so i guess for the audience out there that's really the promise and potential of machine learning is not necessarily how to apply it to current mechanics or systems but how can it fuel or deliver on new new mechanics and systems that allows for a fundamentally or different new experience for the players out there and that game that it actually ultimately creates that becomes, you know, the Minecraft of machine learning will probably look or be like something that we don't even recognize at this point, potentially, you know. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, was there anything, I guess, from that perspective of where I'm coming from, is there anything you wanted to add to that or anything that you disagree with or even agree with related to that? Um, I agree. Uh, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing kind of a shift towards... Um, independent and uh, small small scale games that doesn't that don't rely on you know as much on graphics and and visuals and we're really shifting towards uh, more of a focus on actual gameplay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think you know one of the things that really help games do well today is the ability to generate um, new experiences and. I'm thinking, you know, uh, take the Binding of Isaac. It generates a new level every time, and it keeps the experience fresh. Uh, And, you know, the replayability from from this is something that you don't see from games back then where every level, you know, is handmade. There's even, uh, you know, you can get a job as a level designer, Um, whereas now a lot of games rely on algorithms um, to essentially create content and I think you know when we apply machine learning correctly it could potentially help games um, create uh, engaging content at I guess a much lower cost Um, and that could help keep a game interesting um, and require less you know busy work uh, in terms of design and yeah, I mean, a- another thing I thought of that is is pretty important right now is you know all these games these days are trying to give players more choice. It's you know whether whether they take an open world approach or um, you know a multiple path storyline approach. They're all trying to make games that allow players to you know either role play uh, their own um, identities or you know, make their own choices, or even if, you know, just to to make their choices have a lasting consequence in games. Um, and, and right now, I think a lot of these um, are still handmade. We're in, like, kind of the, the handmade um, stage in terms of making these trees of storylines where, you know, if you do this, these things could happen. And then it just becomes so time-consuming to try to map out 
um, exactly how a story could unfold. And you know, if we think of um, the recent game Life is Strange, you can make a variety of choices, and they do have lasting consequences. Um, but all of that uh, needs you know real humans to to put that together and design it and say, you know, when this happens, you have three choices and exactly three choices because if you have eight, like we don't have time to make um, all these different possible scenarios that branch out into different parallel realities um, to to accommodate the player. And if we can have machine learning, um, you know, I'm not sure how, yeah, but if yeah. we can have it really uh, figure out this process, you could have a game that allows you know so much more choice than than games these days uh, will allow a player yeah so like dynamic choice generation mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> inside the game um yeah and i guess the challenge there is to figure out then where are the choices that actually that are fun right that you know out of the eight choices mm -hmm. or whatever that keep going the thing is though if you just use a general you know, machine learning algorithm, you won't necessarily, until you do it across maybe the span of a ton of players at first, you won't necessarily determine which choices are actually useful to present because some of them could just be dead ends that are boring or, or not engaging. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so yeah, so, so you see that machine learning is potentially allowing or enabling more choices. And that's, that's a way where it could be completely, add a lot to the fun of the game. Yeah. Uh, any other any other applications that you feel could be interesting or um, related to machine learning and games and gameplay? Um, I don't know. Nothing else really comes to mind right now. Okay. Um, yeah, and and I think we also discussed that you guys or that your team used Unity, right? Like for this. Yes. So, what are your thoughts on Unity? Did you look at other game development tools? Uh, I think we picked Unity on on the several bases. Uh, one was that it's easy to deploy that to different platforms. And yeah. also because you get the whole thing essentially for free. Because uh, yeah, we're students. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we, we planned to make this as a kind of an open project and we weren't planning to sell this. Um, you know, at least not in the current state. We're thinking, you know, maybe if, if this works out well, we might make it into a real game. Okay. But that's, you know, way in the future. Uh, yeah, I, to be honest, we we, pro we probably considered Unreal, um, oh, yeah, Unreal as yeah. well. But uh, I heard my friend, um, you know, he's used it before, and, and he said that it was a lot of uh, boilerplate work to set that up um, and really get that going. So we decided to keep it simple um, and go with a more lightweight engine. Okay. And moving forward, I guess, what do you have any uh, future, I guess, game game project plans or, or what? Yeah, I guess, is this more of like going to be a hobby or are you going to try to, are, are all of you interested in getting into game development or what are your thoughts on that? Um. A friend of mine, uh, and me included, were, uh, I think, out of the four of us who were working on this project, um, we're a little more uh, invested in really making games as 
um, I guess, a, a full-time hobby, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, you know, obviously, indie game development is um, not immediately self-sustainable. Um, yeah. So the idea is, you know, well, potentially we could, you know, work on a different project moving forward or pick this up uh, and build it into, you know, a, a full-featured game that one can enjoy. Um, what, what types of games would you like to make moving forward? Um, uh, I would say a, a variety. Um, I don't think at this point I would want to do like a turn-based thing. Okay. Um, one thing I, I personally wanted to do was to uh, create a game that can tell a compelling story. Uh, because I felt that a lot of games today focus, um, you know, they focus a lot on gameplay and mechanics. Um, and there are a lot of games that just have a really flat and dry storyline that, um, you know, it, it's not the same as watching a good movie. And I want to be able to make some games um, that can, you know, through a good narrative, uh, perhaps invokes some thought in the players okay so not necessarily a game where it's it allows players to generate their own stories it's more like a narrative type story is that is that what you're talking about or are you talking about um, kind of sure playing? yeah that would be i guess one of the one of the the ideas that i would want to explore and um yeah i guess what what are indie games or other types of games that you um that both of you enjoy playing as we wrap up the interview. <laughs> yeah. So I think we play we play The Binding of Isaac a lot. A lot. And, okay. and I think um, Macmillan did a really good job in adding the daily run feature because um, it really connects people um, and gives them a really, really convenient way to play the same seat. Uh, yeah, so yeah. the daily run is... Um, like every, I think, I guess, 24 hours, it generates a new, there's a new level that um, everybody can play. And there's okay. a, a leaderboard for it. Um, and, and everybody plays the same seed. So you all, you get the same items and the same mm -hmm. um, enemies that yeah. spawn. So basically, you know, it, it, in, a, in some, some cases where you might play two different instances, maybe one person gets an easier instance, so they might do better. But for this one, you... Are actually yeah, the same randomness. Yeah. 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 So um, if you do better, you can say that you really beat the other player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the other one we play a lot is Don't Starve. Mm. Yeah. They came out with the multiplayer version, Don't Starve Together. So that okay. was that was a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. And and where do you see games going, I guess moving forward? Um, since you are, you know, the like you're you're going to be the torchbearers of history <laughs> soon. So, um, yeah. I mean, I guess where yeah where where do you see games going in the next five or ten years, or um, even even in platforms that you think are going to be popular and stuff like that? Um, personally, I'm not I'm not big on on consoles, but I can see the um, uh, you know how it might appeal to to some players. Um, okay. I think, you know, like I was saying earlier, 
generated content. Um, and I, I, to, just to generalize that idea a bit, I think you know we're seeing a trend where tools are getting um, you know made more accessible, and uh, people are becoming more informed about games and game development in general. And you start seeing people you know who can just team up with two to three and make a game. Uh, and indie development, I think, or, or rather, I hope. Indie development will become, um, uh, I suppose, more sustainable and less risky of uh, of a career path. You're seeing, I guess, independent um, musicians today who can essentially create a career on YouTube, uh, and yeah. that's great to see. Um, you know, I want to see in the next couple of years that indie game developers could come up and create a career without, you know, risking whatever they have right now or having to to well, omit pay, you know. Yeah, I, I feel, though, that indie development now has been much more easy than any other time before. And so, yeah. so like, what, what am I missing? Because, like, it sounds like from, from what you're discussing, because, you know, the games industry is now, I think it's even bigger than the movie industry. And... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and actually, like this year, it's going to be almost a hundred billion dollars, and you know, in sales across the world, and it's huge. And and in fact, now <laughs> everyone's boat is rising, from what I've seen from from the other people that I've talked to and everything else. So, I guess where is the hesitation of, or or feeling that indie development is not sustainable? Because when I look at Steam, I look at like you know, I've seen now. Mm -hmm simple games that that do reasonably yep. well on steam and you know and mobile obviously is also another platform that's viable mm -hmm. um yeah so so i guess where does this perspective come from that indie development is not necessarily viable or it's even risky i i think the thing is um you know to to make a game it's a pretty big and time-consuming project and yeah, you see players true. that take years to make it and then there's a saying that um, you know, to to truly make a game successful, it's uh, ninety percent of it is making a great game, right? Yeah. And then they say that the other ninety percent is good marketing. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And you know that doesn't make sense, but what it means <laughs> is if you make you know a crappy game, it doesn't matter what you do, it's not going to do well. But if you make a great game. And you screw up in marketing, it may not sell. Um, and I think one of the great limitations right now for indie game developers is that they have so much passion in making their games, but they really just don't have time um, to go in and do enough marketing to promote uh, their product and and build a fan base for people who will follow um, and uh, support their game. Um, yeah, which is why it becomes a risk because if you spend you know, five years making your game, and it comes out, and it's a great game, but nobody knows about it. Um, and you know, and it, that's oh, go ahead, go. No, I, I, that that's basically it, right? It's a it's a risk. And that's where I feel like you can potentially use, just like you were using innovation and machine learning to to drive the game to to be better. I think that's where you can kind of use innovation and marketing and literally tie the marketing to the game 
game development process. And I don't know if you've seen like Steam, uh, Greenlight, Early Access, mm-hmm. all those other things. And it's like a lot of these people are almost getting paid to develop just to provide the entertainment of the development process for yeah. for the audience. And it's working. Like, and, and I was just reading about this one game. I don't know if you've heard of Slime Rancher that just recently came out um, kind of no. like in this early access thing. But they've sold like... I think like a hundred thousand copies or over a hundred thousand copies, even though it was meant to be beta and they didn't expect anything, but, but by kind of releasing this beta version and, you know, you have that whole ecosystem, you were mentioning YouTube, the ecosystem Mm -hmm. of these let's play, um, kind of game people who are just looking for new games to just play to, to give coverage. And that seems to drive, drive stuff. So I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I I, I think we're on a good track for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just interesting because it, it's always interesting to see what perspective other people have in terms of where the industry is going and and what the risks are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see what you're saying. Like a five, if you wait five years, and then yeah. you don't you don't really kind of clue people in on the process and everything else. Like I think mm-hmm. that that could be really risky. But the concept yeah. of a small game that you know even takes six months and you're kind of updating an audience or building an audience as you do that mm-hmm. might be more viable for sure yeah um okay cool so i guess um any other last comments or suggestions about game development game design um or you know any suggestions to indie or experimental game developers out there um i think one one lesson i learned from this process is uh, that you really want to plan this out, whether it is an experiment or a game or a prototype. Um, you know, in software development, we talk about this thing called feature creeping, um, which is essentially, you know, as you're making your product, you think, you know, it'd be nice to have this thing, and then it would be nice to, to include that as well, and then you're, you know, you're full with your plate of uh, nice-to-haves, but not necessarily important features. Um, and you end up spending a lot of time building elements that you may not even keep uh, by the time you're done with the game. And you don't want to be trapped in, um, you know, the the cycle of building random features that are cool. You want to be able to um, plan out what you want your game to be, you know, what features do you want it to have, and I guess essentially what's the core experience you want the players to get from playing this game and then everything you build or code um, it has to play around that and if it's not um, if it's not essentially related and it's a nice to have uh, you want to make sure that you've completed the more important things before you move on to those okay so so ideally just have the game kind of gameplay ready and just iterate on that like a minimum viable game or something is that Sure. If I'm if I'm understanding it, and then uh, is is that what you mean, or it? it... Um, in a, in a sense, um, yeah. I I think you you probably uh, interpreted in a, in your own way, which yeah. works as <laughs> well. True. I think yeah. because it reminded me of um, one of the the suspect um, to me the successful factors of games is that um, you really want to minimize it into um, exactly the information and gameplay that the player needs because you don't want too much 
um, noise around the game, you know, uh, maybe if there's a shop feature that doesn't really contribute to their experience, it's it's probably better off that it's not there at all. Um, and there was a game that I heard about that was very successful because of its simplicity. I don't, like, I can't name it right now, um, sure. but I do remember that, uh, you know, that was an important element. Um, what I meant originally was that uh, from a development standpoint, you want to make sure that uh, you have a roadmap planned out and you have um, the core features planned out um, instead of you know having a very vague starting point and just slapping on uh, I guess Lego blocks of features until you end up with this thing and you you know this is your game like yeah. you don't want that to happen. Because by then you'll probably have a, a huge code base, uh, and you know it'd be hard to make some of the changes that are you know easier if you left it in the beginning. Great, and once again for the audience out there, if it, if they want to check out your game, where can they go to to potentially play it and check it out mm-hmm. and stuff? Right. So go to taylorpetrick.com/unlit. Great. Um, Thanks again for your time. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye.